Brothers and sisters, um, this morning, um, I've chosen a text that um, fits in, well, not generally, just generally with the Christian life, but also what we're going to be doing in the celebration of uh, the Lord's Supper. And I want to draw your attention now to a passage that I'm considering. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd like you to, or maybe you want to look on your device. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 3, and I'm going to read just through verses 1 through 9. Also, the passage is on the overhead as we look at a fundamental of the Christian faith. And it's simply called repentance. The, the Bible is very clear. It's very interesting. When you look at the ministry of the Old Testament prophets, when you look at the ministry of a man named John the Baptist, who was a forerunner of Jesus, when you look at the ministry of Jesus Christ, and when you look at the ministry of the apostles as they are bringing the gospel to bear upon the world and the church is expanding throughout the world, fundamentally, it's this message that we need to repent and we need to entrust our lives to Jesus Christ. Without repentance, you can't come to Christ. Without repentance, you can't come to the table. So what we're looking at this morning is pretty important. Well, let's go on to take a look at a passage. During the ministry of the forerunner of Jesus, a man called John the Baptist. I'm going to give you a heads up. It's going to be a little bit hard-hitting teaching this morning. A little bit in your face, but only because John the Baptist is in our face but always to lead us to the gospel, okay? In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod, being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness, and he went into all the region around the Jordan, notice, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Now, especially verses 7 through 9. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Fiery words. In your face words, words that are designed this morning to help us to search our hearts and flee to Jesus. I want to begin with this. There is a, um, a simple little metal device that most of us here this morning own and use and maybe even have with us this morning. The little metal device is simply called a key. Some of you have keys to this building. A number of you have keys to your car. You've keyed to lock boxes. You got keys to your home. We got all kinds of keys. And this morning, I also have a key. 
But it is not a key, actually, that you can see. Key only that you can hear. may sound strange, but it's what we call a key to the kingdom of God. It's a key that either opens or closes the kingdom of God to us. By the kingdom of God, I mean all the blessings that God has promised to bestow to all those who are in Christ. Forgiveness, reconciliation with Him, the indwelling and power of the Holy Spirit to lead the kind of lives that we need to leave in honor of God and for His blessing and our blessing. All of that wrapped up in the whole idea of the kingdom of God. The one key whereby the kingdom of God is open or closed to us is exactly what you're hearing right now. It's called preaching. Now, if you're rooted in the history of the church, and if you're somewhat familiar with uh, one of the confessional standards of our church, which is rather detailed, it speaks about actually two keys of the kingdom of God. One is discipline, which you oftentimes don't see <laughs> exercised in the church today, but it's all over the Bible, right, to be exercised in a proper way. So one is discipline. I won't get into that now, but I'm sure in the course of the ministry of this church you're going to hear about it. And then secondly is what we call preaching. And the way that preaching works as a key to the kingdom, and you also find this in the ministry of Jesus, is this. That when the preacher makes the call to what we call repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, when we respond positively to this, the door to the kingdom of God and the blessings of God in Christ are open to us. We receive them. We experience the blessing of them. But when the call to repentance and faith is made and we do not respond, to this, we're either indifferent or we actively opposed to it, then what happens is that the kingdom of heaven is closed to us and the door is locked until we get to the point of actually repenting and placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Preaching is that important, that simple, and that consequential. Now, with that having been said, we find a preacher in our passage, don't we? His name is John the Baptist. He's what we call a forerunner of Jesus Christ. He's a cousin of Jesus. And before Jesus came onto the scene with his three-year public ministry, John was preaching about the kingdom of God, laying the groundwork for Jesus' teaching on the kingdom of God. So John is preaching, and what's the substance of his preaching? Well, the Bible tells us in verse 3, he's proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So the fundamental theme of his preaching at this stage is the kingdom of God, and to enter into the kingdom of God, we need to repent. But what is repentance? If you grew up in the church, you heard that term a lot. If you're in worship services of this church and other churches of our federation. You hear a lot about repentance. In fact, what we do is we carve out a little time in our, path, in our, in our, in our worship service to be able to repent and renew our commitment to Christ. Okay? So repentance should be familiar to us. Some of you here this morning may not know what repentance is. So what is repentance? Repentance comes from a word in the Greek language. It's simply the word metanoia, which literally means a change of mind. Also involving, if you want to extrapolate it, not just a change in your mind and your thinking patterns, but a change of heart and a change in your will, which is to be followed by what we call, and John mentions that here, Jesus mentions this phrase, as well as the apostles, and that is what we call the fruit of repentance. So here's what is fundamental, or should be fundamental to our lives. Repentance 
followed by what we call the fruit of repentance. That is, where we give evidence of the fact that we indeed have genuinely repented and our lives have been transformed and we want to live new for Christ. There is a wonderful little uh, definition of repentance in a, in a document that some of you probably are not familiar with, but it's been used in the history of the church for many years. It's called the Westminster Children's Catechism. And it comes in question-answer format. That's what catechisms do. And the question is this, what does it mean to repent? And the answer is this, to repent means to be sorry for sin, hate sin, confess your sin in the name of Christ, followed by a resolute desire to sin no more. How easy is that? Easy peasy, right? Well, we may understand it, but it doesn't mean that we want to do it. In fact, here's the thing. Repentance, okay, repentance doesn't come easily to any one of us. It's not our natural default position to be repentant. Why is that? Because repentance fundamentally requires that we die to ourselves. And who wants to die to themselves? Repentance requires full surrender and oftentimes, my friends, that can be a very painful thing. A good example of the pain that can come through repentance is from a woman named, and maybe you've, if you, if you, if you haven't heard of her, I want you to Google her sometime today, Rosaria Butterfield who was um, a woman caught, I'm not going to describe the various sins that she was caught up into, but she was caught up into very deep-seated sexual sin. And she needed to get out of it. And then the Lord worked His grace in her life, and she came to a knowledge of Christ. And she, she describes her repentance, and if you put it, the, the quote up now on Rosaria Butterfield, she describes her repentance in this way. She writes this, the word conversion, which technically includes both repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, is simply too tame and too refined to capture the train wreck that I experienced in coming face to face with the living God. I know of only one word to describe this time-released encounter, and that is impact. Impact is, I believe, the space between the multiple car crash and the body count. Then she goes on to talk about her subsequent healing. And formation. This is what she writes. God sent me to a Reformed and Presbyterian congregation to repent, heal, learn, and thrive. I needed faithful shepherding, not the glitz and the glamour that has captured the soul of modern evangelical culture. I had to learn to lean hard on the full weight of Scripture and friends who asked nothing less of me than I die to myself. And eventually, instead of surrendering, or instead of resisting, she says, I surrendered. You know, um, when you're caught in some deep-seated stuff, in some deep-seated sins that you know in your conscience um, is dishonoring to God, to give that up, to surrender, and to repent is not an easy thing. It's very painful. But it's what we're called to. Because as we're going to see a little bit later on, only true freedom and joy comes through repenting. 
Well, there are certain individuals in our passage that did not want to repent. They didn't, they didn't want to surrender, and John knows that in the passage. And we read in verse 7, John says to these crowds that came out to be baptized by him, he has some very strong words for them. And actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what he says to them in just a moment. But we, we read about crowds coming to John to be baptized and to be a part of what we call reconstituted Israel, the reconstituted people of God, where after years and years of turning their backs on God, now they need to get back to God. They need to be a light to the nations that they're supposed to be, and they're supposed to be a holy people. And a way of demonstrating that commitment to that is coming to John and being baptized, receiving the forgiveness, or um, repenting, um, and receiving forgiveness, and then being baptized as expression of that commitment, okay? But there are a number who are coming for baptism where John knew their hearts. And we read only about, in verse 7, about crowds, but actually if you read Matthew, the gospel writer Matthew's account of this, and it's a parallel passage, what you discover is that he names certain individuals in the crowd. You know who they are? They're what we call Pharisees and Sadducees. Read about them all the time during the ministry of Jesus. Here in short, a lot could be said about Pharisees and Sadducees, but in short, here we go. Pharisees were known as theological conservatives and Sadducees were known as theological liberals. And they were coming to John to be baptized, but John knew something about their heart and he sensed something about their heart and he knew something about their lives. That on the outside, they seemed to have everything in place, but on the inside, they were dark and they were corrupt and most fundamentally, they were not repentant the way I defined it earlier. So this is what he says to them. He says, you brood of vipers. Could you know what a viper is? A viper is a poisonous snake. He's calling them poisonous snakes. He says, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? That is a reference to God's wrath, the wrath of judgment. He says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. He says, if you're going to come to me, you need to be repentant. But not only that, you need to display evidence of that repentance in your life. So what is it? Because I don't see it. What was fundamentally wrong with the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Well, there was a lot. Fundamentally, it was this. Pharisees and Sadducees had religion. They had boundaries. They had laws. They had very well-defined standards of right and wrong. But one thing they did not have was repentance. Religion without repentance. They had religion, the way I defined it, but they were not looking forward to Christ and the blessings that Christ would bring them, namely forgiveness and reconciliation with God, the life of the Spirit of God, followership. Didn't have it. Um, I want to get a little uh, personal and applicatory at this point, having said these things and set the stage for this passage. And I'm going to return to the passage in just a moment. But, um, you know what? There's a little bit of Pharisee and Sadducee in every one of us here this morning. Only the Lord knows our hearts. Can you look in here and see mine? You know some of the darker recesses? I can't see into yours because I'm not God. Jesus and the Spirit knows. Did you know that it is very easy to follow in the train of the Pharisees 
and the Sadducees and the design of the passage is to help us search our hearts and say, am I one of them? Am I one of the crowds here? Do you know that it's very possible to call yourself a Christian, to receive the sacrament of baptism, either as a child or as an adult, to make what we call a public profession of our faith, to even hold a number of conservative theological positions and even have access to the table. We can have all these things without ever being repentant. I've served a number of churches. You know that. First pastoral charge was in Toronto. Second was in the state of Washington. Another was a church plan experience in southern Missouri. Then 12 years in Phoenix. And now here. In each and every church, there have been individuals who have claimed good standing in the church and were considered good standard, uh, people and good standing in the church and even had access to the table. But were caught in the, the, the deepest and the most vile of things in their life. Elders said they're okay. The leadership said they're okay. People on the outside observe and say they're okay. But what you learn, to, what you discover later is that they're big time into porno. Or they're abusing their wives. Emotionally, verbally, sometimes physically. Uh, they're habitual liars. Oftentimes getting drunked up. We're not talking about a glass of wine or beer. I mean, just getting drunk up. I mean, uh, involved in a number of things. Here they are, coming to the table. That was the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Okay. Um, They, when you look at them from the outside, you say they're the most law-abiding individuals in the world. But, but when, you, when, you, when you start to expose some of the layers of the heart, and you examine their lives, and you go, but they lack this, they, they lack repentance, and they have not surrendered to Christ. And, and, and what, what they do, what they do is they, they shield themselves. That's what people do. When they, come, when they come to the service, or sometimes when they come to a counselor, what they, what they do is they, they, they come up with, with various walls set up. And, then, and what preaching's supposed to do, or counseling's supposed to do, is to start dismantling some of those walls so that you get to see really who they are, so that you can take them where they're at and bring them where they're, where they're supposed to be, Right? So look, look at how, the, look at how these, these people, the crowds, the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees are covering themselves, right? What they're doing is they're not repenting, they're not placing their trust in Christ. They're placing their trust in another individual. Who is that? In the passage, it's this guy named Abraham. And John knows this about them. John calls them to repent and experience the fruits of repentance. And he's like, and yeah, listen to this carefully. Don't you dare 
Don't you dare think to yourselves, and don't you dare come to me saying, yeah, oh, but we, who are you to say that to us? We have Abraham as our father. And John's like, so what? So you got your ethnicity right. So you got Abraham as your father. So you're Jews. So you're people of God. So you're people of the law. Oh, yeah, you have all those things in your possession. So what? You're dead on the inside. You won't repent. And you won't entrust yourself to the coming of Jesus. A lot of people like that. The question is, who do we trust in? Are we trusting in our cultural background? Are we trusting in our church background? Are we trusting in our conservative theological positions? Are we trusting in our ability to hide who we really are? John's like, man, give it up. Stop kidding yourself. Repent. Show the evidence of that repentance and experience joy in Christ. Well, if you're listening to this, and I realize that I'm not perfect, none of, no one of us is perfect, but this is designed to help us deal with how we're, how we're actually living our lives. Are we, living, are we living while we experience our sins and our shortcomings? Are we really, are we really genuinely in my hearts repentant? And, and if, if the Lord is working that in our life, then there's only one question at this point that we can ask ourselves. You know what it is? It's really simple. What should I do? What should I do? And why do I raise that question? Here's why. Because it's the very question that is asked on three separate occasions in our text. Take a look at verses 10 through 14. And the crowds asked him then, as John is preaching repentance, and I think the Lord is working something in their hearts, the, the crowds ask him, what should we do? And he answered them, okay, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Now there's another group, tax gatherers, also came to him to be baptized. And, and John said to them, or, and they said, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, that is John, collect no more than what you're authorized to do. And then there's this third group, soldiers are asking him, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be content with your wages. Now notice who's coming to him. The ones who are coming to him aren't the religious. The ones who are coming to him are not those who are trusting in Abraham or anything outside of themselves other than Christ. Who's coming to them? Those who are repentant among the crowds, those who are repentant among the tax gatherers, and those who are repentant among soldiers. These are the down and dirty. These are the rough. These are the tough crowd, not the religious crowd. And so what does John say to them? John says to the crowds, are you hedonistic? Are you, are you hoarding things? Are you materialistic? Do you have two coats? Do you have extra food? Well, then repent and give it to those who need it. And, and then he says, not only to the, the certain individuals of the crowds, he says to this group called the tax gatherers who would collect monies from the people and then skim off the top and keep some of it for themselves. John says, man, you need to stop doing that. You need to repent and you need to be honest. And finally, what he says, he's got this group of soldiers who would use their power and their authority and their tough-mindedness, and what they would do is they would get money from people. They would extort money from them. And John says, you've got to knock it off, and you need to repent, and then you need to show the fruit of repentance. And what is the fruit of repentance? You need to be content with the wages that you have so you don't feel like you have to extort money from people. 
Die to yourself. Die to yourself. Die to yourself. Surrender. <laughs> That's what he's calling them to do. And by the way, this, this is no different from Jesus. Sometimes Jesus even hammers down harder. So, listen, I, I understand we need to come to the table. Um, friends, listen, I know these are rather harsh and these are demanding things that are being said. Do you know what? When you look deeply at the passage, you also see that it's clothed in good news. And what is the good news? The good news is basically this, that Christ has, has come particularly for those who struggle with repentance. And what Christ says is, come to me. He says, it's a tender invitation of Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden with your sin and you're struggling with repentance. And then he says, and I will give you rest. I'll give you rest from this all. I've quoted him before. I'll quote him again throughout the years here. The great famous line of St. Augustine, he said, Lord, you have created us for yourself, and we are restless until we find rest in you and the community of faith. So are you repentant? Then come. Come to Christ. Come genuinely. Come repentantly. Come believingly, knowing that when we come with a repentant heart, there's ne Did you know there's never one repentant individual, no matter how hardcore their sin, where Christ says, um, yeah, it's a little too late. Too little too late. Never happens with Jesus. No matter where we are, what sins we are caught up in, he says, come. And when you come, I will bless you. And I will forgive you. And I will set you on a new course. Sometimes people are repentant and we keep them from the table. And sometimes people are in good standing officially in a church and they come to the table but they're not repentant. Jesus says if you're repentant, come because what we're about to experience here and participate in is where the Lord is saying to us, you come here not because you're perfect. If that was the case, nobody come forward. But are you repentant? And you want strengthening that comes to the table, then, then come. Come. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we prepare to come to the table, Lord, we pray that you would grant us softened hearts and repentant hearts. And, O oh Lord, through this sacrament, O oh God, even now in this prayer, that you will pour, that you will pour your grace into our lives. So that coming repentantly and believingly, we might partake and be refreshed and then be better equipped and empowered to live the lives that you call us to live in this world. God, grant that now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.